South by Southwest, we're very honoured to be here. And today's guest has been invited to keynote events in 32 countries, but I bet you he's never had uh, the shaling dumplings like they do down Haymarket. I don't think you would have had anything um, like that. Do they have them at East, East Ocean? Nah, no, right. no. You should, you should check out Chinatown. It's great if you want to violate RSAs a bit later. One of the world's most entertaining and authentic speakers on disruption, activation, and non-obvious thinking, which are all words that we are going to interrogate heavily in this interview. <laughs> as we attempt to dissect the futuristic jargon that we hear in convention centres like this. Rohit, thank you for joining us today. We're very honoured that you're our first guest. I'm honoured too, mate. Hey, there we are. I can see why you you can tour 32 different countries. You slipped right in with the mate there. You know, you know I used to live here for five years. Okay, so, well, I didn't you know, do my research. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Whereabouts did you live? Bondi Junction. Bondi Junction. Yeah. Heavenly. It's like if a Westfield was on top of a hill. <laughs> Yeah, it was probably one of the first kind of to go in the Eastern Suburbs gentrification. I feel like Bondi Junction is good fun. It's kind of uh, what Bondi should have been. There was a time when I was living in uh, Bondi Junction and I was working for a client in like North Sydney and I would just go straight from my apartment into the train to the building where I worked and I would never go outside. Never yeah. see the sunlight. Never. You would have done so well in the pandemic. <laughs> now, uh, what I want to do as someone who's been to 32 countries is ask you off the bat, as you know, closed-minded reactionary voters, um, <laughs> what is South by Southwest? What is it? Well, it started as a music festival yeah. in the US, uh, and then they added film, and then they added this weird interactive thing, and then Twitter launched there, and all of a sudden it became mm -hmm. a big festival mm -hmm. um, for tech also. So now it's those three things. Okay, three things. I noticed we didn't have any Penrith Panthers on the lineup, or uh, Brisbane Broncos for that matter. I guess we'll get the Queenslander-friendly fourth prong eventually at South by Southwest <laughs> Sydney. Um, but let's talk about what you do. What was the actual term we uh, were throwing around the office today? Future... Futurist? Futurist. Yeah. Is that the actual term you'd use? No, I'm a reluctant futurist. Reluctant oh. futurist. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because a lot of futurists try and predict what's going to happen in like 50 years. Yeah. And I think that's kind of a waste of okay. time. Um, so I focus on the near future. So like Maybe. 20 years? No, like five years. Okay. okay. Yeah. So how were you going like late 2019? Were you getting many predictions right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, just not, not the one you're thinking of. <laughs> <laughs> what happened in that time is the reason we've probably got South by Southwest here today. Uh, it's definitely the reason why Brisbane have got the Olympics. Scotty. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, go Brisbane, right? Go Olympics they too. I mean, yeah. you know, that's oh, you're an up. Olympics guy. I didn't I, hear that. I, I love the Olympics. Okay, man. explain to me why Olympics. that is. Apart from, is it because you hold the same nostalgic uh, memories as everyone in this room about when Sid, Ollie, and Lizzie were cutting around on billboards? <laughs> and, and that was that was not so good. No, uh, no, that was not so good. But that was the time that I was living here. So, yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. So so I was in Atlanta for those Olympics. Yeah. And then I didn't go to 2004 because my son was born literally during the Olympics, so I couldn't go. But then I went to Beijing, I went to London, and I went to Rio. And then oh, everything man. shut down, so Tokyo was out. Yeah. But we're going to Paris next year, so. Oh, you're like an Olympics groupie. I sort of am, yeah. 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 I sort well, of am. What's your favorite event? But we'll get back to what you do in futurism and stuff. But what's your favorite event? Handball. Handball? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I can. I, I, it's like soccer with your hands. It's yeah, the best. Or, I like sorry, it. football. European handball. 
Yeah. Um, I also like the Paralympic version of that with the bell. That is <laughs> yeah. talent. Yeah. 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 To play that game without seeing the ball. Some yeah. of those Paralympic ones are. Well, they certainly try a lot harder. Now, um, I'd like to ask you non-obvious thinking. That is another one of these terms we're going to interrogate today. Yeah. Well, I'll give you an, I'll tie it all together, right? I'll give you an Olympics example. Yep. So uh, Dick Fosbury yep. was the first guy who did the high jump by running up to that bar, turning around backwards and flopping over it. And the first time I heard that story, I thought to myself, what kind of guy sees everyone jump over a bar forwards and thinks to himself, I got to run up to this thing, look strange, jump backwards and literally flop over it. But he did it. He won the uh, gold medal in 1968. And now every Olympian who wins that event does that flop. So like that's non-obvious thinking. It's yeah. seeing what everyone else sees and thinking, you know, I could do it differently and better. What would you say looking around this city, uh, not as damaged as some other cities post-pandemic, but you know, I, I'm glad that South by Southwest have decided to do this in Chinatown, Haymarket, where there's a little bit of edge. Heaven forbid they do it in the entertainment quarter or the fucking homebush or wherever you, <laughs> wherever you go to witness culture in this city. Um, I thought Chinatown was a great decision. What would you say looking around this city? Bear in mind that probably five years before the pandemic, we volunteered uh, these things called lockout laws. We, we, uh, we don't really have a nightlife in the city. And um, I would say creatively, it's probably like South by Southwest Sydney is probably the biggest boost that they've had um, since hmm. Paul Mac, I think. Um, <laughs> I, th that is my, my thinking. What would you say? What do they need to do in this city in non-ordinary thinking? Well, I think, I think this is a start, yep. right? I mean, you mentioned several times the 32 country thing seems to be pretty impressive for people, but yep. like in 20 years, I haven't had a chance to come here, yep. which is sort of a symbol of, yep. of that, right? Mm -hmm. um, so the fact that this is happening now and I'm able to come back here, I mean, it's great for me. I'm really happy to be back here, but it is a symbol of maybe that changing. Yeah. So would you say that maybe Sydney needs to return to a 24-hour economy where they allow young people to uh, leave the house past midnight and perhaps see bands that wouldn't otherwise be noticed at 1 a.m.? Well, you've obviously kind of got a... Got a I've got an agenda uh, here. Yeah, an agenda. But, that, but that's good. But I can tell you, like, as an external person, right, who's looking at the research behind livable cities, yep. one, of the one of the criteria they do look at is... Who is coming to this city and why are they coming to it? Yeah. I think that's an aspect of it. Things being open and people being able to go out. And so there is some actual, besides what you or I might think, yeah. there's some actual research behind it too. Yeah, right. Because Sydney's been described as the pretty girl that didn't have to try. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's like you just arrive here, you can't get a beer after 8 p.m. I don't know, man. That W Hotel looks like somebody's trying. Yeah, they were like, yeah. yeah. What would Melbourne be? Melbourne's the librarian that undoes her hair. Oh, and she yeah. takes the glasses yeah. off. You're like, oh, yeah. she's actually hot. Yeah, she's hot. Yeah. She's neat, she's organized. <laughs> yeah. And she doesn't mind 3 a.m. live comedy. Um, but anyway, uh, back to non-ordinary thinking. <laughs> What's non, Brisbane? Non, What's non Brisbane? Obvious. Brisbane's non like obvious. the cousin that you're not meant to be yeah. attracted to. <laughs> uh, what other, what, in what other capacity would you apply this thinking? I feel like I've stepped into a family rivalry. Oh, yeah. Well, no, that's just Sydney. In fact, there's people here from <laughs> Melbourne, there's people here from Sydney. I'm sure they will have this debate at some point this weekend. Melbourne is a second city over the years. You know, one, one thing I do remember from, uh, from watching TV when I was living here was the amount of celebration that happened for sports that in America would be seen as, as not worthy of putting on television, like a high school volleyball team, yeah. for example, yeah, yeah. winning a championship. Like that wouldn't be on TV in America because they're 
broadcasting like gun shootings and stuff like that. Yeah, instead. yeah, yeah. Whereas here, like, we're celebrating all types of sports at all levels. Which well, is yeah, cool. I mean, it was interesting on the weekend. We had basically this referendum result, and Channel Nine had about forty minutes to cover that before we had to cross live to Samoa Kangaroos. Came back for a little bit of a debrief for about 10 minutes and went to Pakistan, India in the cricket. So um, <laughs> That's a big deal. It's a big deal. And you're right. We Effectively, apart from cricket, we're talking about domestic codes here. Australia is very kind of... Um, they're not very South by Southwest in theory. We love watching Aussie Rules, which is a mutation of several other games that yeah, video is. game developers have given up trying to recreate. <laughs> Anything changed since you lived here? I mean, a lot's changed with the city, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, and I imagine it's a reflection of, of yeah. people changing. I mean, yeah. I definitely see, I do look around here and I see a lot more diversity than I think there was yeah. 20 years ago. I mean, I've had a lens of kind of, I left in 20, uh, 2003 yeah. and now it's like literally 20 years later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's been a while since, since I was here. So I, I mean, I see that. I have a serious question. Yeah. Okay, so I was reading, <laughs> I was reading through your, uh, your mega trends and I thought it was really interesting seeing that a lot of things seem to be uh, centered on almost loneliness and people wanting a more human connection. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's true. I think it's happening for all of us. Like we, mm. it's not a natural. I mean, there's a lot of things that we experience as humans right now that are not naturally how we want to feel. Like nobody wants to wake up in the morning thinking, "What can I be outraged about today?" Yeah. Like mm. that's not a good feeling. I'll for find a way. Don't worry. Right? Maybe some people because yeah. you know they built a media empire around yeah, it. Right. Yeah, yeah. But Sometimes. most people are like, they don't want to feel negative about the world. They want to feel positive. They just don't know, they don't know how to. And and a lot of the algorithms are sort of making us feel yeah. that more and more. Mm -hmm. So I do think we want to reconnect with people. And you know, just earlier today in this room, we were doing a podcast recording. We were talking about the future of boredom. Yep. That was our topic. Well, and boredom boredom makes you be more creative. Like you, yeah. you're forced to. But if you've got like instant gratification, you're on the phone and. I was also going to mention, um, I think there was something on your website about um, like education. Like I imagine yeah. uh, teachers at the moment probably having a hard time. You know, you've got 12-year-olds who've already seen someone get beheaded on videos online. They're not going to care about, you know, a science experiment. How do you keep people interested now? Well, that's, that's still pretty active compared to some of the things that kids have to learn, right? Yeah, right? Predictions and forecasting. And so, like, did you get any of this stuff right? Like, the Megatrends book you mentioned, mm. that came out in January of 2020. Mm -hmm. Literally, t a, a book about the future yeah. two months before everything changed forever, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Imagine the timing of that. <laughs> but some of the things that I talked about in that book, like, one of the trends was something that I was already seeing happening, which was light speed learning. That's what I called it, mm. which is people wanting to learn things faster. And one of it was one of the aspects of it was like online learning. And then you get the pandemic where all of a sudden 100% of kids yeah. have to be online yeah. learning. And so all of the things that were sort of on the fringe got a lot more sophisticated because they had to. They had no choice, yeah. right? So it's interesting sometimes that like yeah, they sped, accelerated at least yeah, a, a process. It did. That yeah. I, I want to ask when things do change, are people? Are experts taking that into account when they're looking at behavioural change? For example, I would say Queensland's currently plagued by a youth crime crisis. It, believe what you want a bit about that. I'm sure people would agree it's happening. Some, some people would say it's a beat-up. But one thing people are forgetting is that there's a generation of kids who miss their school formals, who probably were at home in households that they didn't want to be in, uh, with parents who weren't usually there but were also made to stay home. And these are factors that are never discussed professionally, at least on a kind of a media or a political level. Yeah. Well, I mean, 
part of what you can do is start to look at the people who are researching that generation or that time mm -hmm. and what they're finding in terms of people's behavior. Because you're right, like it really affected a lot of people. Like some people, it was really negative because all of a sudden they didn't have all these social bonds. You think about like kids who would have started maybe kindergarten at that time, which is like anybody who's seen a kid at that age, like that Formative. one year or two mm. years is really specifically formulative for like how they turn out to be. Yeah. And imagine that kid no longer being able to deal with other kids and being yeah. at home instead. Like that's a big moment in time versus someone who had like a year long blip in their career where, yeah. right? Mm. Like that's a yeah, different Yeah, decided thing. to have a kid or something like that. You know, right. just had a, a circuit breaker almost. A lot of you know adults with a steady income could have looked at that. Well, everybody changed a little bit. Like it was funny, I uh, after the pandemic was sort of finishing and people were getting back out, I had to get my clothes altered. I happened to like lose some weight during the pandemic, but I Look went to the you. tailor. I know, right? Yeah. But he, what he said is everyone's coming because so, everybody's either too, more fat than they were yeah. or less fat. Nobody's the same size. Yeah. So like this guy was super busy. Yeah. yeah. So his business went through the roof because yeah. everybody had to get everything adjusted. Yeah. The passport office were busy too. They, I mean, there was a backlog that went down the street. Yeah. I want to ask you about community. With the rise of boredom or in, in fact the invalidation or the disappearing of boredom, there's also the disappearing of community uh we noticed this when it comes to uh certain things i wouldn't say necessarily something like the re referendum on the weekend but certainly leading into an election we really struggle to figure to take a gauge on the population that is because once upon a time you'd go to a church and find out how the catholics were going you'd find out how the marinettes were going you'd, you'd find all these discussions that were happening in public forums you'd go to the hellenic club you'd go to the rotary club you'd find all these old men playing cards and you'd find out how people are feeling and what they're talking about I think even we're at a point now where grassroots sport might be dwindling, you know what I mean? And community sport, certainly. Where does this come in? And, and, and I know some people will say, well, that's what WhatsApp's for, or that's what social <laughs> media's for, but I feel like that's not what it's for. No, anymore. that's kind of not what it's become right no. now, right? So, I mean, I think there's a few things. One is anyone who is a little bit older, when you say the word community, what they think is people gathering together in person. Yeah. Mm. Whereas if you talk to somebody who's a little bit younger, they say, well, I have an online community of people who are interested in the same thing I'm interested in, and they happen to live in Egypt or somewhere else, yeah. but they're still my community, yeah. even though I've never met them in person. Maybe I don't even know what they look like. Yeah. But I still get community from them because they're interested in what I'm interested in. Mm -hmm. So part of it is like where, because humans need community, mm -hmm. but a lot of times the generational difference between what we think community actually means is hard to get past. I mean, it is in a sense that a community would suggest that someone knows that someone in your family's died and they're dropping off a meal on your front doorstep. You're not getting that from your World of Warcraft friend in Egypt, you know what I mean? I mean, mean not like, usually, but the thing is, people talk about really deep things with mm -hmm. online friends and anyone can order a delivery of flowers yeah. or food or whatever. I mean, it's not the same, you're right. Yeah. But it's also not insignificant, these online connections people have. Do you think there would be people that would have otherwise, before the invention of the internet, had no one, now have people? I think behaviors are changing. I, I don't think that most people would be happy having no one. But um, there's really interesting trends that are manifesting in different ways. Like in some cultures, for example, you just, you don't eat alone. And so there's entire trends of people with like these mukbang videos where like you can watch a video of someone eating so that you're not eating alone because you're eating with someone else who's eating something different from somewhere else, right? Yeah. Which some people might think about that and be like, that's really weird. Other people might be like, well, you know, at least you're not eating alone. Yeah. Like there's a real person there. I mean, I need rain noises to sleep. I need videos of people <laughs> eating food to eat. You know, there's you, all kinds of videos. You've got your, your different kinds. Of, in terms of business, 
And innovation, that's another word I want to uh, interrogate. Innovation, what is that to you? Uh, I think it's trying to come up with new ways of doing things that solve problems. Uh, disruption. I'm trying to keep it not complicated. You know? <laughs> disruption. Like, disruption. What does that mean? Uh, it means changing. Mm-hmm. It w- there's no ill will in that word? It could be. Yeah. I mean, d- industries get disrupted, yep. right? Which is uh, sometimes a, a thing where... S- you see how everyone is doing something and you're the startup who's like, that's wrong. We need to, I mean, I own a book publishing company with my wife and we're disrupting publishing because we're doing things totally different from traditional publishers and we're happy with that as a way of describing what we do. Do you think there has been a correction in that world? Like, I mean, startup, for one, we didn't hear that word until probably 10 years ago was the earliest rumblings you heard of that word startup. Tech startup was a big one. Mm. Um, And we saw success stories. We saw Uber, we saw... You know, we saw all kinds of stuff. But do you think there was a point where people were just, well, at least investors were just throwing money at suave, charming young men wearing they still do chinos because, with no socks? Well, think about the, yeah, they still do. Yeah. And the reason why is because uh, the metric is totally, it's totally messed up, but it's understandable if you understand how the model works, right? Yeah. So everyone's trying to make money. So you could go to a company that is losing money every single day and invest millions of dollars, maybe tens of millions of dollars Mm -hmm. in them if you think a richer company will at some point come along and buy them for the people or for the audience they've built and they could lose money for 10 years consistently and then get purchased by Google and you just made money, right? So playing musical chairs in a a way. So at the end of the day, like, is that a wrong-headed model for the person who gave the money 10 years ago to mm-hmm. be like, okay, I'm going to sit on this thing for 10 years and then sell to Google for yeah. billions of dollars and make my money and I look smart. Even though they invested in something that yeah, quantifiably yeah. failed for a decade, right? <laughs> lost money every single year, fired people, lost livelihoods, and yet they still come out ahead. Like, that's what happens right now. Mm. Like, that's reality. That's not me making something up. That's how it works. Yeah. Well, in your reluctant futurist five to 10-year... Uh, kind of uh, net that you cast? What has you most excited? Well, I am very excited by immersive entertainment. Yep. Uh, That's one of the, that's actually, I think the first chapter of the new book, The Future Normal, like it's got 30 trends and the first one is immersive entertainment. And the reason why is because I think that there's so many situations where you're seeing the technology, like many of you probably saw the opening of The Sphere in Las Vegas or like the ABBA show in Mm -hmm. London. I mean, there's all these examples where you're not just sitting in a theater seat or putting on your headphones and listening to this thing passively, you're interacting in some way. And I mean, it all started with Tupac at Coachella, am I right? <laughs> Just the, I uh... think maybe for you, maybe for other people, started with something else, right? But, but the point is, like, we want to live inside these stories. So Future Normal is uh, your book. Not so much what has you excited, but what would you like mm. to put out there and, and, and pitch as something that we're going to be seeing in the next uh, little while? Uh, I think there's... I mean, what sector you want to go into? Like, the, we had a chapter about psychedelic wellness, and it was talking about the research behind psychedelics to be curative. So, yeah. how psychedelics could be taken in a certain situation and cure depression or cure PTSD. And that's yep. what some of the early research is showing. Mm-hmm. That's really fascinating. Yeah. Um, green spaces, uh, waste free packaging. I mean, we talk about like all of these really cool yeah. innovations that are coming, like weather modification, which is like a possible good, possible. Not so good. 
so there's a lot of really interesting future technologies that, and this is where my reluctant futurist and five-year time horizon come into it, right? Because I wrote about, a book about the future with my co-author Henry, but every one of those chapters is showcasing people who are doing something right now. Yep. So this is not science fiction where someone might invent the flying car. Like yeah. that's already here, right? I think yeah. they have a, a demo of that, like yeah. even here. So these things that felt like they were super far off are actually now already being experimented and are already happening now. Are we in safe hands? Who are the uh, villains? Who, who's like who's going to turn on us and become like a evil Tony Stark? Um, <laughs> Mm. Who would you say, uh, well, what industries are we at risk from? I think that w there are many uh, innovators who are not paying attention to the ethical misuses yep. or mm. potential misuses mm -hmm. of what they create. Um, and so they have this mentality that, like, we're going to put this thing out there and people are going to use it for good stuff. Yeah. And that never turns out to be the case. Uh, Especially and so, deep fakes. I feel like yeah. that's been used great for example. very bad yeah. things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you've given us a lot to think about today. How, how long are you sticking around? Uh, South I'll by be South here West? through Thursday. And okay. I've got a uh, featured session tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock. All right. Um, and that'll that be some of these trends. If you want more trends, like they'll be in that session yep. too. Yeah. I know we definitely steered you towards our preferred uh, topics of trends, but uh, <laughs> we look forward to seeing more from you. And thank you for joining us. Thank you for thank having you. me. This is great. Thank mm -hmm. you.